The text for this morning is from uh, Revelations chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. I will be reading French, and now uh, the English version will be on the screen for you to follow along. Je me retournais pour découvrir quelle était cette voix. Et l'ayant la, fait, voici ce que j'ai vu. Il y avait sept chandeliers d'or, et au milieu des chandeliers, quelqu'un qui ressemblait à un homme. Il portait un long tunique, et une ceinture d'or lui entourait la poitrine. Verse 14. Sa tête, sa tête et ses cheveux étaient blancs comme de la laine blanche. Oui, comme de la neige. Ses yeux étaient comme une flamme ardente, et ses pieds étincelaient comme de bronze incandescent incandescents au sorti d'un crusset. Sa voix, sa voix retentissait comme celle des grandes eaux. Dans sa main droite, il tenait sept étoiles, et de sa bouche sortait une épée aiguisée au double tranchant. Son visage était éblouissant comme le soleil quand il brille de tout son éclat. Verse 17. Quand je, quand je l'ai vis, je tombai à ses pieds comme mort. Alors il posa sa main droite sur moi en disant, N'aie pas peur, je suis le premier et le dernier, le vivant. J'ai été mort et voici, je suis vivant pour l'éternité. Je détends la clé de la mort et du séjour des morts. Écris donc ce que tu as vu, ce qui est et ce qui va arriver ensuite. Verse 20. Mais d'abord, voici quel D'abord, voici quel est le secret de cette étoile que tu as vue dans ma main droite et de cette chandelier d'or. Et cette étoile sont les anges de cette église et les sept chandeliers, les sept églises. This is God's word. Please be seated. All right, church. Uh, the first thing you're seeing here is kids are dismissed for uh, children's church and a reminder to parents to pick up your kids right before or right after you take communion. A uh, couple of things to note uh, for folks that are new. One of the reasons we do the scripture reading in a different language is it's a, a small way in our liturgy that we celebrate uh, the Christian faith being a global faith. Uh, the other thing I wanted to, to mention is uh, we are in the process of getting a new sound system and there's a couple holes in it that we're experiencing because if, especially if you're sitting up in the balcony there's supposed to be two speakers up on the ceiling right by you so that you could hear me better uh, but the ones they shipped us didn't work so we had to ship them back and now we're waiting for uh, the <laughs> supply chain to get us another one of those so there's a couple things uh, with the current system that uh, there are a couple spots where you don't hear it as well but we're hoping to fill that in here hopefully in the next, next couple weeks. So that's one thing that you might be experiencing here uh, with, with our sound system. Uh, you are, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, right at the start of a sermon series on the book of Revelation. And this is something that we typically do at Trinity City Church. We do a lot of, uh, we do some topical series here and there too, but for the most part, we pick books of the Bibles, Old Testament and New Testament, and we go through those books and whatever comes up, comes up, and we talk about those things. And we uh, 
around the season of Advent, finished an Old Testament book, and now we're back into the New Testament with the book of Revelation. And as, I, as you can imagine, it's going to be some heavy lifting, and this uh, series will take us to about the middle part of June, and then we'll go back to uh, our series, Summer in the Psalms, where we do about 10 psalms a summer, and this summer we are going to be doing all the psalms in the 80s. Uh, so that's what we're going to be up to. Let's go ahead and pray and look into the rest of Revelation chapter 1. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this gathering, and we pray that one of the purposes that you have for when your churches gather would be accomplished right now, that they would get a glimpse and a vision of your Son, Jesus Christ, the exalted one, the crucified one, the King, the Lord, the glorious one. Lord, help us to see him and experience the weight of seeing him, the transformative power of seeing him. Lord, we need your spirit to help us to have eyes to see the risen Christ who still is among his church, still walks among us, is still present with us. And Lord, help us to see such a vision of your son, Jesus Christ, that whatever we are facing right now, whatever burdens we are bringing into this place. May the strength of his glory lift that off. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So what comes to your mind when you picture Jesus? There's a bunch of uh, things that might come to your mind, and there might be things that you've experienced where there might have been depictions of Jesus that are relatively odd. I want to share a couple of those examples with you to open up this sermon. One comes from a place here in St. Paul, up in the Midway neighborhood. There's a little store up there called Axeman. Anyone ever been to that store before? And uh, wait, wait, get, get that off there. We'll get there for a second. Yeah, thank you. This is supposed to be... He's supposed to kind of come around the corner at Axeman and kind of scare you. So we'll get to that Jesus that was there at Axeman. But if you're not familiar with what that store is, it's like, it's like as if your junk drawer at home became a store. That's kind of what Axeman is. There, are, there might be things in your house where you're like, I can never replace that or find a part to replace that. Yes, you can, and that would be found at the store called Axeman. If you have a random part from a broken toy that you need, it would probably be there. If you want some AV equipment that you think is extinct, it would be at this store, okay? That's what type of store this is. Uh, the other thing at this store, I don't know if he's still there, but one time I was there, I round the corner, and as you saw him pop up already, uh, this statue image, I don't know what you would call this, of Jesus popped out and just, he was there. And the thing that you probably can't appreciate by looking at this uh, image is what is... Uh, what is detailed there on his gold chain. Uh, that's going to be a little bit too small for you to see, so let me go ahead and read what's on that gold chain. It says, be easy on Jeezy, spelt <laughs> easy, spelt easy, and Jeezy, yeah, just like you would imagine, G-E-E-Z-Y, okay? So that's what, that's what his gold chain says. So that was an image of Jesus that I encountered uh, probably several years ago at this point. Uh, let me give you another example of an interesting encounter of an image of Christ. Uh, this was a prank that my staff pulled on me. One of the things that uh, we discovered when we got the joy of purchasing this building, this is a, a building that was built by the Methodist Church and a faithful uh, Methodist congregation, and they had a bunch of images, a bunch of pictures of Jesus that they had stored upstairs in one of the storage rooms. And 
Well, one week, I guess I didn't give my staff enough to do, but they decided to prank me by putting uh, all those images and pictures of Jesus into the study that, that Josiah and I share. And so I showed up one day, and then there was, I mean, you had a picture of like 12, 15 images of Methodist Jesus, like just looking at me when I showed up to work one day. And, and they were just there. And one of the pictures, we, we put most of them back again, but there is still one picture of Methodist Jesus uh, at the end of the hallway right before you reach the study. And it's just that he, he looks so interesting because he, he doesn't look happy, but he also doesn't look mad. He just looks kind of stoic. You don't know what's going on in his head. And so one thing now that happens is there's these random sticky notes that are put on that image of Jesus of things that he's saying to you when you make eye contact with him coming down the hallway. The first thing that he used to say off that sticky note was, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. <laughs> and which was funny because I forgot during a counseling session that I had left that up and that was the first thing that somebody saw right before they had their first session of counseling with me, which is funny. I'm glad it happened um, because I can tell this story. Now it doesn't say that anymore. Someone has replaced it with, with a sticky note that says, well, it's actually supposed to be 10% of your gross, not nat. <laughs> For the record, I didn't put either of these things on that image. I don't know who keeps doing this, and maybe now you're inspired to put your own sticky note on this image of Jesus, but that's, that's a couple encounters by, that I've had unexpectedly of, of, of encountering these images of Jesus uh, when I wasn't looking for it. Now, for the record, Jesus didn't really say any of those things. You can't find those things in Scripture, nor does he look like any of these depictions. But when we go to Revelation 1, you're about to get an accurate vision of Jesus, but not in the way that you're thinking. Not in the historical sense, but in a theological sense, because how Jesus is pictured in this vision is something that's a little bit trippy, to be frank, but it's accurate in a theological and allegorical sense. These are, there are various visions of Christ throughout the book of Revelation that show who Christ is and what he's accomplished and what he's about to do. And so this is one of the first ones that we get to encounter through the ears and eyes of John. So let's look at what John hears and sees and how he responds to this vision of Christ in Revelation 1. Let's start with Revelation 1, verse 9. I, John your brother and companion in suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours and Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll that you see and send it to the seven churches. And then he goes on and details seven historical churches. So here we have the Apostle John, the writer of the Gospel of John, suffering on the island of Patmos because of his Christian faith, he says. That's why he is there. His convictions in God's word, his witness to the Gospel of Jesus Christ is why he is suffering there. And some, some translations don't translate that word as suffering, but also as tribulation. He's experiencing tribulation. And we don't know all the details, 
But he says that this is a type of suffering that he shares with his readers, with those that are among the churches, and he calls them his companions in suffering, that they have fellowship with one another in suffering. And any of you that have walked the road of suffering in your life knows that when you meet somebody that shares in a similar experience of suffering as you do, you do share a deep companionship and fellowship because of that experience. That's how John feels connected to the Christians he's writing to. And then on the Lord's day, it says that through the Holy Spirit, John has this vision, this encounter. And the Lord's day is another way that Christians throughout the ages have referred to as Sunday. It's the sacred day where Christians worship and connect with Christ because it was the first day of the week that Jesus rose from the dead. So it's on the Lord's day that he hears a loud voice that he describes as of what? A trumpet. And in the Old Testament, the great, there are great prophets like Ezekiel and Moses that often hear the sound of a trumpet right before they have a great encounter with the voice and revelation of God. A trumpet is an instrument that announces a battle or the start of a festival or party or the coming of a king. That's what you would hear before a great event is about to go down. Many of you probably think that a trumpet should be blown when you show up to work, but it's something greater than that, right? This is a coming king. This is a great event. This is something that's supposed to be celebrated. And what did the voice say? Well, he tells John to write down not only what he hears, but what he sees. To take that information and put it on a scroll and send it to the churches, which we established last week, are not only these seven historical churches, but this is information and visions that are supposed to be read by the universal church throughout time. Later in this chapter, in verse 19, after John sees who's talking to him, he's told to write again. John, uh, Revelation 1.19 says, Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. We'll leave that up because there's certain phrases in there that are key to trying to understand the book of Revelation. And different interpretations of this book understand this verse differently. One common way to understand this verse is that it's common to understand the what you have seen to be what John is experiencing in chapter 1 with his vision of Christ and that phrase, what is now, as the letters that he's about to write and what will take place, that phrase means and is a reference to the visions that he's about to see in chapters 4 through 22. Another interpretation of that verse is using this language and seeing that this language comes from the Old Testament book of Daniel, especially chapter 2, which is a book that's referenced a lot throughout the book of Revelation. And here the understanding is that John is saying in this verse that he believes what God has promised long ago is being fulfilled in his day because of the coming of Christ and the fact that he is going to come again. In this understanding, what you have seen is referencing the visions throughout the book of Revelation, what is now are the things that are occurring to the church throughout time, and what will take place is the unfolding of all of God's promises because Christ has come and he will come again. In other words, both John's audience and us, we are living between Christ's first coming and his second coming, and the Lord wants to give us visions that we can get God's heavenly perspective on the things that are happening around us. So who is commissioning John with this command? And he's about to turn around and get a glorious vision of Jesus Christ. So see, let's go now to what John saw. 
Let's, see, let's go to what John saw in verses 12 through 13. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. Someone like the son of man is walking in among these lampstands. That's what he sees. And lampstands are a common feature that would be familiar to the original re readers because they would think of the temple. There were lampstands that stood before the very room where it was said that the presence of God dwelt among his people, and the lamps on the lampstands were uh, representing the very presence of God. And these lampstands are identified, interpreted later in the chapter, this chapter 1 of Revelation. In verse 20, it says, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the, uh, angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And I would just say as somebody that's trying to work on interpreting scripture, it would be great if every one of these images had a verse that said this is what the image is referring to, but there's only a, couple, uh, only a handful of times that that happens. And here we see it happening with what these lampstands represent. They represent the church, not only these literal churches that John wrote to, but the universal church, the, ch the fullness of the church. And the one that's walking among the lampstands is titled the Son of Man. And this is an Old Testament references that many writers in the New Testament make to Daniel chapter 7, where it says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And so this text is picturing here in Daniel someone that looks like a human being, yet it's very clear that he is divine since he has authority to rule all, over all earthly and heavenly powers. This is the Ancient of Days, which is a title in the Old Testament for God, who is a wise and glorious king who will judge the world with justice and power. So back in the book of Revelation now, this divine Lord, the Son of Man, is wearing the clothes of a priest or a ruler. And since he's in the midst of these seven lampstands, which is the church, this means that the Lord is present among the churches as one who both cares for the church, but also judges the church. The vision continues. Look at verses 14 through 16 with me. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as the snow, and his eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. So this, these verses are detailing the appearance of the Lord, his hair, his eyes, his feet, voice, hand, mouth, and face. And John gets a vivid and detailed look at all what's before him. And each of these descriptions, as you can imagine, are filled with theological imagery from the scriptures, especially the Old Testament. It talks about his hair that is bright 
like whitest, like the whitest snow that you can imagine. What the ancient reader would have, would have read here is to try to picture the purest and brightest white that you can ever imagine, and that was the color of his hair. And the white hair symbolizes the ancient of days, that title for God, meaning that God is infinitely wise. Again, this is a reference back to Daniel 7-9 where it says, And I looked. Thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. John now looks at his eyes of the one who is before him, and they are described as a blazing fire. A blazing fire in the scriptures represent divine judgment and the ability to see everything. You can't hide yourself from Christ's judgment when he comes to judge the living and the dead. He sees everything, and these eyes can see everything into the depths of our soul, into the things that you tried to hide from him, and maybe that you even tried to hide from yourself. Christ sees all things with those eyes. John then looks down at his feet, and he saw burnished bronze, a metal glowing hot, within a furnace. And this points towards the purity and the strength of the one who walks in justice and stands in judgment over all things. Then you hear the voice of Jesus, which not only sounds like a trumpet, but it's the sound of rushing waters. You're not only supposed to hear something, I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear rushing waters, maybe it's Minnehaha Falls, but think bigger than that. Think louder than that. Think more majestic than that type of image or that type of sound. Imagine Lake Superior in November during a storm and the sound of that. Think the roar of Niagara or the the strong waves of an ocean. That's the sound of the Lord's voice. And in the scriptures, That's how God's voice is described as well. He's holding in his right hand seven stars, which we already interpreted in verse 20 as angels. And the right hand is the hand of power and authority. So this is the one who is not only Lord of the church and every earthly power, but he also rules the heavenly realms. This is the king of heaven and earth. The Lord's mouth opens, and coming out of his mouth is a double-edged sword. And in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, this describes God's truth and judgment. God's judgment will strike the earth, Isaiah says, and slay the wicked, but also give justice to the poor and needy. And finally, John sees his face, a face that shines like the sun in all its brilliance, This is a description of the glory of a victorious one. There is no veil like clouds that are covering the majestic sun that's shining from his face. This is a cloudless day at noon when it comes to beholding the brilliance of the glory of Christ that John sees right before him. That's what John saw in this vision. If you saw that, what would you do? How would you respond? if Christ disclosed himself like that to you right now? Well, let's see how John responded, and it will make a little bit of sense. Revelation 1, 17 through 18 says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. 
I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. John, understandably so, falls to the ground and lays like he's dead before the feet of Christ. Laying down before someone uh, like this is often described in the scriptures as worship. And in the scripture, the word of worship is closely tied to words that are also translated as reverence or fear. And at this point in John's experience of this vision of Christ, it's more likely fear or terror that he's experiencing rather than worship. Seeing Christ the King, the Lord, and the Judge in all of his fullness, the fullness of his glory, is a terrifying thing. But then the Lord knew that, so he reaches down and touches him. Did you see that detail? He touches John. The very hand of authority that holds the stars that says that this is the one who is is king of heaven and earth, that is the one who places his hand on John. Not only to bring him comfort in that moment, but also to commission him as a prophet who is going to continue to document these revelations. And then the Lord speaks and tells John, do not be afraid. Don't be terrified. Don't be afraid of him, nor of the suffering that John and his companions face. Why? Because then Jesus starts to describe who he is. Jesus says he's the first and the last. He is the one that rules over all things in all times. He is the one that rose from the dead. That is, he is eternal life. And because of who he is and what he has done, he holds the keys of death and even to the place where death dwells. And that image is, is you don't have to have a lot of Old Testament background to understand what that means. If you have the keys to something, that means you have the power and control over that thing or that area. In this image, it might mean that death may have been driving, but Christ took the keys to that vehicle, and now he is in the driver's seat. Death had power, yet Jesus went into the domain of death, took the keys, and booted death out of the house. And now all of us who used to be under the power of death have been liberated because of the one who lives forever and rose from the dead, because now he dwells with us. And that is the comfort and the hope that Jesus brings to a fearful John to turn his fear into worship. As I conclude with this image in mind, I want to linger on the word glory and how that's used in the scriptures. The word glory is not only about light and beauty as you see it depicted in this vision of Christ, The root meaning of the word also means weight or heaviness. What do you you experience that's heavy? Like just even think like maybe you lift weights, maybe you have a heavy backpack. You know what the feeling of weightiness feels like, right? That weightiness on your back, on your soul. That's how the glory of Christ is described. And why is this description significant? I recall reading the devotional once that said that the weight of something is describing its value or worth like weighing precious metals. And so the more weight that something has and the more you feel that weight, well, the more glory that you should ascribe to that object. 
There's a church father I read this week that described this chapter in Revelation in these similar terms. This is what the church father said, quote, Thoroughly terrified by fear of his weakness, insignificance, and inferiority, John fell down, not falling only to some degree, but wholly giving himself over to the Lord in humility and faith. And therefore the Lord also felt compassion in view of this most pious devotion. He laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. Here he both rewards faith and strengthens the faithful, who is terrified not by unbelief, but by an awe-filled wonder, and he urges John not to fear. When you experience the glory of Christ, you experience weightiness. Because if weightiness is describing that which is worthy, there is none that is more infinitely worthy than Jesus Christ. So if you get a glimpse of that glory, the best way to describe it is weight that brings you to the ground and, and, and you lay there as if you were dead. That's how 2 Corinthians 4.16 puts this. Paul writes, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. In closing this sermon, I want you to take a moment to reflect on the things that you are facing that you don't think you could ever overcome. It could be a sin, it could be sin, it could be some type of broken relationship, it could be a cultural reality of, of injustice in this world or the brokenness of this world, and you look at that and you're like, there is no way that me or God's people or us as a culture can ever overcome those things. I want you to see something in your mind and in your soul right now that you are facing that you just think you can never get out of. And as you're facing that in your imagination and in your soul, I also now want you to turn and face this image of Christ that you just saw, that you just heard about, that you now understand through the scriptures. Turn back to the vision of Christ and the glory that he displays because of who he is. And based on Revelation 1, what is it that you see? Well, when you turn away from these things and face Christ, you see once again the exalted Son of Man and glorious High Priest. He is infinitely wise and wonderfully glorified. He is all-knowing and all-powerful. He is fully in control and fulfills all of the promises of, God's, uh, of God and the longings of our hearts. This is Jesus the Christ who is judge of all and Lord of all. His glory is brighter than the sun on a cloudless day and his worthiness weighs more than all the treasures of this earth. And now may the weight of that image of Christ's glory remind you of your weakness, but may the strong hand of Christ raise you back up to face the things that you reflected on for this week.